another episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nathan. What's good, Nathan? What's up, man? We now have our conference finals set. How about that? We, we finally made it here. I feel like I was first to put it on the radar of the national consciousness that we were headed towards a bubble repeat of the Final Four. People finally caught on as Boston closed out Philadelphia yesterday. And, of course, Denver, the Lakers, and the Heat, you know, are joining them in the Final Four. So, you know, I'm just going to say, I looked at the bracket. I was like, we might actually get to repeat that fraudulent uh, playoffs a few years back and settle this thing for real now. But uh, here we are. I, it just validates what we saw a couple years ago. Like These teams were legit. These stars were legit. The teams look a little bit different. All the same stars for the most part. Uh, it validates the bubble in my eyes. But before we go there, uh, you gave me a lot of shit last year when I went to Italy, smack dab in the middle of the playoffs, and you were talking about me gallivanting about Europe when, you know, these crucial game sixes, game sevens were happening. And you just got back from London for God knows how long you were there. So first of all, tell me, you know, why is this any different? What were you doing in London? And did you actually watch any basketball you're out there? So uh, why it's different is because I know that the Pelicans didn't win the NBA championship like you thought <laughs> last year during, you know, when whenever you left after game five of round one. So I actually kept up with what was going on um, out there just for fun, man. Just uh, had a, honestly, it's, 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 it's a goal of mine for a while. So I was like, Chicago to London. We went with some friends from D.C., you know, D.C. to London. It's direct flights. They're easy. You know, they're relatively affordable, all things considered, for Europe. And it's just like, you can go make that trip happen over five days, which is what we did, almost as if it's a trip out to the West Coast, right, for us uh, East Coasters and Midwesters. Like, it really isn't that much different. Um, You get out there, and it's an amazing, amazing city. Um, Really, I hadn't spent time there my whole life. Like, we went as children. Like, me and my brother and my parents went 20-plus years ago. So I have vague recollections of the tourist spots, right? Like seeing Big Ben, seeing Westminster Abbey. My parents weren't taking us out to the uh, the, the <laughs> best places to eat and all that. We were probably grabbing Subway and Starbucks and whatnot when we were there at night. But so that was a lot of fun to do it as an adult. And obviously, you know, the crazy thing is, you know, me, king of the uh, of the uh, sort of reactionary takes and the prisoner of the moment. It is. It's got to be, just in terms of a pure city to a potentially live in, it's got to be top three of any that I've been to. Um, I'm not, And I'm not saying it's like top three places I've ever visited from a vacation standpoint. You can't really compare this to like a Amalfi Coast, for example. But the idea of just like what it brings to the table, incredible. Um, it's got it all, diversity. Um, the food is out of this world. Ironically, we never ate British food one time, but that's kind of the point of London, right? It's that you wouldn't really need to do that. Um, the weather, shitty to, for the most part, but I'm used to that uh, part of the uh, you know charm of a particular city. And lastly, to your point, this is actually why I might not live there is because it's very, very difficult to watch basketball. <laughs> um, I missed almost every game while I was over there because they were all at night. Uh, so they're happening at like 3 a.m. local time. The only one I got to watch was actually Philadelphia Boston Game Seven. We were streaming it on a phone at dinner, much to the chagrin of our wives, but we had to do it. Um, and then the third quarter, we pretty much turned it off, so it saved us a little bit on that front. So long preamble, but but yeah, that's uh, that was the trip in a nutshell. 
London, <clears throat> London really is awesome. Um, any like, I only spent serious time there a couple of years ago when I was out there for a, uh, a work trip, but then spent some extra days and the food scene, the bar scene, like the cocktail Dude. bars there, man, some of them had so much character. I don't know how to describe it, but just the character of the places, um, the 100%. nightlife, everything was just really great. And even, I know you went to Deshoom, right? Deshoom we, did was, do, we did do Deshoom. It's yeah. one of those places. Well, I want to hear your thoughts. I thought like everyone hypes up so much as a, and there's so many locations. Like, there's no way this could live up to the hype. I thought it was incredible. Um, all the Indian food in general is incredible because London yep. does have very good Indian food. If the, anything they do well, it's like chicken tikka masala, that kind of stuff, right? It originated in London. Um, but yeah, what were your thoughts on the Indian food? The shoot was awesome. We ate Indian food two, three times while we were there just because of, like you said, how good it is. The shoom, you know, it's crazy. So the original Dishoom, I think there's like maybe six of them now, but the original one is in Covent Garden, which is where we had the reservation. 20 minutes before the reservation, when we're all like literally been thinking about it all day, thinking about it all trip, they call to say that the power is out at the at the <laughs> restaurant and they're like, we have to cancel your reservation. We're trying our best to move you to another spot. It's literally Friday night, right? It's 9 p.m. We're like, we're dead. How is this going? Like, we're not going to be able to go. We're going to end up eating, like, street pizza because it's Friday night. We're not going to get a reservation anywhere else. They somehow moved us to a location. It's called Carnaby. Ate there. That whole spot is cool. We bounced around. Like, to your point, the pubs, I mean, it's every other storefront is like a sweet pub and it's all yeah. old it's got culture like you said i'm i'm blown away just just when you, when you think about it, like europe is like this in general just the history versus uh the u.s but it actually matches the history of a lot of old european cities with like the modern efficiency of just like the society you know like just like the the, the culture and the civilization there so it's really best for both worlds it's like taking new york and taking like budapest and combining them into one exactly spot. that's what that's the beauty of it that's a good way to describe it yeah um anything anything else fun you did out there anything notable that you did oh the days uh chelsea uh went to a oh chelsea that's match. right yo um, did you guys all have chelsea jerseys just ready to go did you buy them there like what i i never heard you talk about chelsea once in my life <laughs> except for when we're playing fifa maybe so, uh, to be fair, I grew up a bit of a Chelsea fan. Very, what? very low-key. Where, where is this coming from? I got so much shit for talking about being an Arsenal fan, which I have <laughs> documented history with. Fan is loose. Fan is like, I played with them in, in I did play with them a lot in FIFA because I liked Drogba. I liked uh, Michael Bollock. I liked um, Frank Anelka. Lampard. Anelka. Anelka was Anelka? sick. Yeah. J- uh, I was going to say Jason Terry. That's probably another good start to my uh, fandom. John Terry. Then I didn't care. And I mostly didn't care with them back in the day. But now I rooted for them because of Pulisic. I was like, you know, whatever. He's like our top guy. I want to go see him succeed. They won the Champions League a couple years ago. Now he never plays, so it didn't really matter. I swear I saw him warm up for like half the game, but he never actually came in. Um, Game was sweet. I mean, they suck, right? Like I think two weeks ago I saw some tweets around potentially having them, you know, they might be in the relegation mix. So that's obviously not what you want to see. To your question, three of the six jerseys were procured beforehand from just some friend of a friend who happened to be fans. And three of them were purchased about an hour and a half before game time. Um, so we tried to strategically buy things we might wear again, um, you know, because you're probably not going to wear a Chelsea jersey all that often. So trying to figure it out. But the game was awesome. I mean, the stadium, everything was just so much fun. And like, 
you know, the thing about soccer is like every game, and I feel like American football is like this to an extent, uh, but every game is all it matters for that game. Like, well, maybe it's only the basketball heads who take too big of a view on everything, right? It's like all this existentialist, like, who cares? Like, whatever, we had one nice win, but we lost the title, so fuck us, right? Like, we're, talk- we're about to talk Philadelphia, and that's the exact vibe. But with football, both American football as well as soccer, is like, people care about the individual game or individual match that's going on, and if they play well, if they're doing well, the crowd's going to get into it. It's not like that malaise you see because the team is like, 15th out of 20 in the standings like they don't worry about that it's really an any given sunday kind of approach um so it was awesome i mean they tied and they are pretty bad based on my uh very amateur um perspective but really cool to be at stanford bridge yeah that's a iconic place to to watch a game so that's cool man yeah it was a 1-1 or a 0-0 tie it's 2-2 and Raheem Sterling had both for for Chelsea and he really should have had a hat trick I felt like I think he could have won it missed a couple opportunities down the stretch and that's the other annoying thing about soccer because the, the reality is like a team that's not expected to win or is playing for a draw or whatever as soon as they get to that result they just play such a holding pattern they play such a shell and so a third of the game, Nottingham Forest is like not being aggressive because once they tied it back up at two-two, they're headed. They're you know they just want the point. They're they're trying to get out of relegation themselves, and they're not looking to win. And so it just changes the complexion. And for you know that's just the nature of soccer as a whole that I've never truly been able to get over because other sports, at least the American sports, don't really work that way. You can't really play that way for that long of period of the game. That's true. That's true. That that is annoying. I, I hate watching that, especially in the World Cup too. We saw this recently. It's like you when the games matter so much, especially you you play a totally different style depending on whether you're up right. Or down. That's why the group games are so different than the knockout games because you're not trying to like scheme the system. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so you ready to do twenty more minutes on the EPL? Or... <laughs> yeah, it's a, Chelsea it's a, super fan. Last thing I'll say before uh, before we go. So I bought the sweatshirt. Um, and obviously it was game day and a bunch of people would come up to us being like, oh, like you're Chelsea fans, etc." We didn't know what to say because like we don't really know what's going on. <laughs> but then today I wore it again to get on the plane. It's comfy, you know, I was like kind of falling asleep in it. I wore it today to get uh, to, to fly home. And the reality is this morning we had a little bit of time. So we were bouncing around. At least four people stopped me to be like, oh, Chelsea. And they're like talking and like acting like I, they wanted to like lean in on strategic discussions and sort of like what I thought about the new manager or like, who is it going to be? And like the new ownership, I was like, bro, I, I'd like acquired this 48 hours ago. I have no idea. Um, I could talk to you about the wizards eighth pick tomorrow. Uh, you know, once we get the lottery results tomorrow, that's about it. Isn't it funny being in that position though? I was like, for us, we're big fans, sports fans. We're used to knowing everything and encountering people who know very little and frustrate us. And I've been in those situations where I'm wearing a giant's hat or something. And someone wants to talk to me about baseball. Um, and, or I have a hockey, I have a San Jose Sharks hat that I wear every now and then I'm not ready to have a conversation about the Sharks. Right. And, and it's funny cause then you feel like an idiot. You're like, ah, oh, I, you know, some super superficial level stuff, but the moment they go one layer deep, you're like, dude, I can't do this anymore. And on the flip side, there's so many teams here that you could be rooting for there. It's like, it's religion, right? So yeah. it's not that uh, there aren't fans of other teams in the EPL, but everyone's a fan of the EPL. Yep. So everybody's as plugged in on Chelsea as you could possibly be. So anyway, all right, let's, 
let's get to the NBA here. Um, like I mentioned, uh, the one game I did watch was last night's, uh, or I guess yesterday afternoon, 76ers, Boston Celtics, game seven. A lot of storylines to say the least uh, in this one, including, you know, Jason Tatum, just outrageous 51 point game, 13 rebounds, obliterated the Sixers, especially in the third quarter. But I think even at halftime, he had 25, if I'm not mistaken. So that the fact that they were only up three and a half with that kind of game, honestly, gave you a little pause of like, you know, Embiid's not playing well, Harden's not playing well, and Tatum's having an out of body experience. I think Rosillo had it on his podcast or on the Simmons podcast that through games four through six, he was one of 24 combined in the first half. So ridiculous turnaround. It really started at the end of game six with his three or four threes. So I guess, you know, taking a step back from all this, you know, Boston was supposed to beat Philadelphia, right? They were favored. They're fairly reasonable favorites. I didn't feel at any point even after game one when Harden went ballistic or after game five when Harden went ballistic and they had a game at home to close them out that the Sixers were actually going to win. There's just too little bit of that infrastructure that I trust and too much of the Celtics infrastructure that I do trust, uh, even with Missoula getting some heat, et cetera. They've done it before and they've specifically done it to this Philadelphia team. So I don't know, man, there's a lot to unpack. Let's start on the Philly side because I want to talk about Boston as it relates to the matchup next round with Miami, but Embiid, we both, uh, you know, you picked him for MVP. I picked Giannis, but also said that Embiid was de- deserving and I expected him to win. Are you coming off that at all? Or wh- where are you at in terms of just his MVP candidacy and then sort of his legacy, right? Like, again, maybe we shouldn't go so big picture on this, but he also had the biggest drop off in points per game for any current MVP from regular season to playoffs. So, the performance wasn't there. Um, I know he was battling injury, but let's start with him. I don't. I don't. I think he deserved the MVP during the regular season. He. We have sh- such short memories. I think people forget the tear he went at the end of the year, and Jokic kind of flatlined a bit, right? For good reason. The Nuggets were not gunning hard. They locked up the one seed. I don't take away any of. I don't rethink the MVP at all. That being said. I do think the next time MVP is in the MVP discussion or Embiid is in the MVP discussion, the past playoff success, the past or playoff failures, I should say, will factor in. And I think people will view him as a different player because this was his coronation year. This was the year where everything broke right. You are, I mean, he had the injury, sure, but relatively healthy through the most of the season. You have Harden, who's been playing at his best. You have maxi tobias harris enough role guys pj tucker who was supposed to bring toughness to that team and did and you're playing a uh, a vulnerable boston team Giannis is out everything is laid out for you a 3-2 lead so for me it's i think these are the moments that an, an mvp at the very least needs to go out gunning needs to go out really wanting it and i think the most disappointing thing from the way this series ended was just the lack of fire and look, we know Harden is a playoff fail, like notorious playoff uh, choker. We know Doc is a playoff choker. The one guy who had the t- like the chance to really turn around the narrative was Embiid, and that game was a three point game at halftime. Like you said, they could have been down even more. The second half, that third quarter, the way he came out, the way he was so flat, the way it was easy for them to take him out of his game, and just get into his mind. Frankly. Uh, was disappointing. So I, you know, he deserved the MVP this year. 
but this definitely changes the way we look at it moving forward. It has to. I'm flat out disgusted by Joel Embiid's performance. And I think there's a lot of blame that goes on Harden's shoulders and they go down Doc's shoulders. But at the end of the day, Harden almost single-handedly won them two games. So he got there halfway home. And he's not, you know, he's 33. He's former MVP, but certainly not that self. We have a current in-the-prime guy who's going up against 36-year-old Al Horford and getting absolutely stonewalled, right? They guarded him one-on-one a lot of times, right? They didn't necessarily, like, send a bunch of help. They weren't triple-teaming him, certainly, like Brooklyn did in round one. And you just look at it, and you're like, Embiid, what more of a situation do you want? You have game six at home on your floor. You have a fully healthy team. This is the squad you wanted. You got out of the Ben Simmons corpse. Somehow they turned him into James Harden, who, again, won you two playoff games that Ben Simmons never would have done. Right? They figured out a way to they added PJ Tucker who he'd asked for. They added guys around him. They they got DeAnthony Melton, you know, Jay, Jalen McDaniel, like whatever, like the, the confluence of talent. And for you to throw that stinker up in game seven, and even in game six, to not be able to score down the stretch, uh, I think what do you say? They didn't, he didn't touch the ball the last four minutes of the game. Like, that's on you to go get the ball. It's certainly on Doc and it's on Harden to go figure out a way to get your MVP the ball, but I just don't see that type of excuse making. And I don't see that type of passiveness to your point, just like the lack of fire from really any of the guys that we put in the, the rarefied air that Embiid's now finds himself in. And so now you have an issue where you have an MVP who's never even made round three in his career, believe it or not. The furthest he's gotten is game seven uh, versus Boston and then game seven versus Toronto uh, in 2019. And I don't know where they go from here. Partly is like, I don't know that you can count on him night to night in the playoffs because of the way he wears down. And it's just a different, like Harden also wears down. So it's like, you really have to think much differently about who you place him next to, because that player has to be a tier one star, meaning not necessarily a top five guy, but really like a top 10 to 12 guy. And the only one who's really available that would potentially fit that bill is someone like Dame. Uh, that could may or may not work for a variety of reasons, but I just worry like he breaks down, he doesn't get good looks and he gets, you know, doesn't get the foul calls. And so all of a sudden what's in a super effective, efficient game kind of falls apart and it can happen at any given moment. And they have two of those guys. So I was just blown away by how bad Embiid was. I don't think he can get enough flack for, for this performance. Maybe I'm too hard on him, but I was disgusted by it, frankly. No, it was it was bad. There's I don't know how you recover from that. Um, he didn't do many self any favors with the post game presser and um, the whole thing left a bad taste in your mouth. I think the problem with him too is, you know, you talk about them playing him one on one. Well, sometimes they would send a double, and he's not a guy who can easily pass, find the weaknesses. You know, Mm-mm. cross court. It's not he's not Jokic. Um, he can easily get flustered. He can easily turn it over. You know, he's notorious for turning it over. Um, in a lot of these late game possessions, yep. I and I don't know where he gets better because, like you said, his um, this year is the best we saw. Like this version of a beat during the regular season, you can't ask for much more than that. But it's clearly a regular season version that the efforts there night to night on a regular season basis. But he cannot sustain that in the playoffs. Sustain that against high level defense. And guess what? Even if it wasn't against Boston and Al Horford, this could have happened against Bam. This could have happened against Giannis. Like, there's nothing to say that this is also just a fluke matchup and, you know, they got really unlucky. I I think this is a serious problem for Embiid and for this team. And like you said, you know, like you think about Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis will never be a number one alpha 
primary option on his team. I think we learned that. I think we learned the best role he has is playing off or together with someone like LeBron and then also focusing some of that attention on defense. Mm-hmm. Now, Embiid is way more talented and is a better player overall than Anthony Davis, so I'm not comparing him. I don't think he's way more talented. Maybe not way more talented, but he is a better player. He's more productive, certainly. But he could also sure. benefit. I think he could benefit from maybe shifting his game in into the sen- in the sense that less dependence on him offensively, shift more of that defensively, and that offensive burden has to be taken up by a guy who's not hardened, a guy who's you know hardens aging. He's got his own limitations. You're right. Dame is the most likely candidate, but other than that, they can find someone else. But at the same time, you know they had Jimmy Butler. They didn't win. Ben Simmons, we know, is, is somewhat of a fraud, but that was another version they tried. They tried Harden. So at a certain point, you're running through a lot of iterations of these teams to not even get to the conference finals. So I, I honestly don't know what they do. You know, the easy, I think the thing they have to do is at least get rid of Doc. Maybe a new coach. Maybe you can bring in some kind of new system and something that'll unlock him in a different way. But it it's dire, man. If I'm a Philly fan, it's like, how frustrating must this be? Yeah, I mean, look, I think at the end of the day, like, Embiid is who he is, right? Like, I don't know how much a different offensive system is the reason why he's continually produced, you know, in less of a fashion in the playoffs than he has in than the regular season. The last two years, for example, he's averaged 24 points a game in the playoffs, shooting 45% from the field and shooting 20% from three. Those are all significantly down from his regular season where he's actually won the last two scoring titles, right? Averaging 31 and a half, 32 points of a game combined and including this MVP. So you look at it like, all right, Harden is is notorious for this. So we know he's going to be that. I don't know that you can build around a team that has two guys who have the same problems with the coach who has the same problems. So what's easiest to do? Sure, it's get rid of Doc. And I think they should do that. I don't know if they will. They should certainly. Um but, but, yeah, I think you made the good point. Like, Anthony Davis is a good comp in that Embiid is a more productive scorer. He's, he's probably more talented, especially with his shooting, right? And Anthony Davis has lost a lot of ability to make jump shots. But he's clearly not capable of carrying that burden both ways 40, 42 minutes a game for three months in the playoffs. Like, we've seen it just over and over again. You could say, well, he got hurt this year. He had the facial injury last year. He had... Some other like diarrhea thing the year before. What if it's always something? Then it's not an accident. Like if it's always an injury that it's managing, it's not an accident. This dude's seven two. He's two hundred seventy five, eighty pounds. Like I get it. He's gonna like you have to figure out a way to load manage. And Harden at this stage of his career is not a dude who can do what he did in game one and game five over and over, or game one and game four. Excuse me, over and over again. Like he's gonna have a lot of those game two, three, six, seven type clunkers. Like we've seen it. I mean, this is a guy who went for 40 twice in a series and still only averaged 22 points per game uh, in this series. So it shows you just the variance and inconsistency. You got Maxi, who's not ready for that spotlight yet. You have Tobias, who's always going to leave you wanting more. And they need to find a way to get a true second star that is capable of being a top 15 guy. I think Harden's probably a top 25 guy. And the difference between 15 and 25 is massive. Like, even with Boston, you've seen this, and maybe we can transition to Boston. Like, Jalen Brown is a legitimate top 15 player in the NBA now, I think, right? Or if he's not there, he's right around that cusp. And that helps so much when Tatum's got his, like, crazy shooting uh, issues going on or when they need buckets early to keep the flow going. I thought 
I think it was game uh, six that he started off really hot. And like he's done that multiple times this series because it takes Tatum a little while to get going. And if you don't have a guy that can take the burden off, because it's very few players, back to our point last week or the week before, how many guys really bring it every single night? There's not that many. And Embiid is in the camp of not being able to bring it every night. And so how do you supplement him with enough talent to carry that load? I mean, they don't have that guy on the roster this year. Harden, just based on roster construction standpoint, they almost have to bring him back if he's willing. Uh, They can't let him walk for nothing. Um, So I'm really interested to see what they do just because this is a really big make-or-break offseason for them. And who knows, like, does Embiid want out and say, hey, I got to try this out somewhere else? Or is he going to stay with it and see how they – work around him i think he stays i to your point about the inconsistency and tatum's a great example or he's inconsistent he's been inconsistent in the series but tatum goes out gunning which can be frustrating and you know and then it brings up the issue of you know jalen brown is he pissed that he's not getting enough shots and but i think Embiid the the lack of just effort out there when things aren't going his way and that seems to be a characteristic of him, right? When the MVP conversation is not going his way, he starts to chirp more. The game's not going his way. The fouls aren't going his way. And if you're this good of a player, you're an MVP, you're a top five player in the league, that can't that can't happen in the playoffs. You can't get frustrated and, and burned down by that. So I think for him, like, there's – he knows. I mean, I think you have to know. It's not Philly's – fault i think philly overall has put together good rosters i agree um maxi you know they they've they've kept them competitive they've been good enough uh i don't know where else he'd go that would be a much better situation um but i think you know i I, coming back to doc i just think that his teams all have that same personality of collapsing and much has been made of all the series he's blown but it's also just these are teams that give up, and and I can't help but notice that's a consistent across all Doc coach teams, at least post Celtics. And I'm I'm thinking maybe the easiest fix for them is you get rid of Harden. You you'll have to look for that second star. I don't know where it comes from, but you. Look, I mean, you, you can't just let Harden walk. I don't like. Can you like you don't have the cab space to replace him, and you just lost like your point guard who, for all his faults, is still twenty two eleven and six every night. I don't know what Harden's going to try to do to orchestrate to get to Houston. Maybe. Well, they have the cap space, I think, to just outright sign him, I believe, or they can certainly create it. That's what's going to be the interesting thing. Is this, is this guy really going to finish his career playing like for this shit Houston team? Or is it that he and then maybe some other free agents are going to actually go make them good? I think he doesn't care about that anymore. I think he's he just wants to go play somewhere he's comfortable. Um He's done the team hopping thing now, right? He's gone to – he tried teaming up with Westbrook in Houston, didn't work. He went to team up with Durant in Brooklyn, didn't work. Went to team up with Embiid in Philly, didn't work. And I don't think he's a guy who's built to keep trying that. He might just give up on it. So <clears throat> I don't know what Harden's going to do, honestly. I, who cares? I think Harden was interesting for a split second when it looked like he might actually shed those narratives. I've always been a big Harden fan. I was rooting for him too. And at this point, this is who he is. Like – yeah. He was scared that game. He Terrified. was tentative. Once again, like I'd rather have him going shooting three of 18 and being a failure that way than whatever he did, three for 11, or forgot what the box score was. But, um, but yeah, man, class failure all around. And you know what? Uh, testament to Boston. They do this every year. You know, 
this core has been super successful getting to the conference finals, getting to the finals last year. Um, and it's, it's actually, they're not thought of as a dynasty and they're not a dynasty. They have, haven't even won a title, but my point is the fact that they've been in the conference finals or, uh, it's you know, remarkable semifinals in the last, yeah. how many years? Six, seven. Yeah. I mean, this is Jalen Browns. He came into the league in 2016. I think he's played in, he played in the 17 conference finals, the 18 conference finals, the 20 conference finals, 22 and now 23 yeah i mean that's nuts and you know you look at him you look at tatum and you say okay they're 25 26 years old if especially now that jalen brown's qualified for supermax which you know we can get to the all nba team maybe at some point but the reality is you look at a situation where they can certainly keep these guys under contract if they want to you know it's a ridiculous sum of money i think it's a combined 600 million dollars that their extensions will be worth but these two are so damn good as a duo um, in terms of both their skill sets they're more complementary than i think we thought originally but then more importantly than that they are the exact key ingredient for any successful playoff team right this is why the clippers went all out for Kawhi and pg because they know that when you have healthy excellent two-way wings on the floor leading the charge it kind of sets everyone else up. And that's it, it's always the biggest matchup nightmare. Even Philadelphia, a team that's sort of trying to be designed to, to to battle big big wings, right? Like the Giannis's and Tatums of the world. They couldn't do anything with these guys because they're just too long, too athletic, too rangy. Um, and you know, I, I actually think if you if you want to look ahead to the Miami series, the key area that they're gonna have to exploit is I don't think Miami has the wing depth to keep up with Tatum and Brown. Um, they just don't have enough guys on the perimeter who can guard them. Jimmy is obviously going to take one of them, but you're also trying to not expend his energy too much uh, as you think about all that he has to carry offensively without Tyler Hero. So, I mean, you just got to give them a ton of credit. Boston is the, the really the modicum of consistency. The only thing they're missing from their legacy in this run is a title, and it can easily happen this year, and they're certainly the, the, the betting favorites to win it all from here on out. And that's that'll change how we how we look at them as well. I, mm-hmm. they're I mean they're a team. Boston's a team that every time they've lost the last several years, it's felt like they've gotten their own way. It's when the off the half court offense breaks down. Marcus Smart is settling for for jumpers. Tatum and Brown are stuck in mud. Careless turnovers. Never feels like they have serious vulnerabilities as a team, defensively, offensively, the way they play. It's it's. It just comes down to execution sometimes. I actually think, you know, to your point about Miami and the Wings, Miami got away. One of the reasons they've been having so much success in the postseason was Cleveland had no great Wings. New York also, I'd argue, at least they're not that consistent, right? Josh Hart kind of shrunk from the moment. R.J. Barrett's solid, but not, you know, he's no star. This is going to be the first test for Miami now in having to guard these guys, and how long can you afford to play lineups with Kevin Love and Duncan Robinson? Because those guys are all going to be put in the blender, uh, you know, by Tatum and Brown. They're going to be thrown into pick and rolls and getting the switch, getting switched onto those guys. And Miami just does not have a lot of margin for lineup maneuvering. Yep. Because you know they're relying on on a, a cast of characters that not that versatile on defense and offense. So. Right. That's that's going to be the problem for Miami. Um, 
not to mention the wings like on the other side can all be thrown at Jimmy Butler. You've got Tatum, you got Brown, you got Smart, you got Derek White who can play good minutes. Brogdon and Brogdon, like every, they're completely switchable, and that's one of the things the Celtics have had so much success the last couple of years is because there's no weak points in that defense for Jimmy well, to exploit. Well, that's and that's the thing that's been the number one key to their success is they don't play any bad players like we talked about, but they don't play anyone who's not good at both offense and defense. And it's just an underrated element. Like, and when I say bad play, what's the difference between that? Look at a team like Miami. Or you look at a team like Golden State, like the two guys that come to mind are Jordan Poole and Tyler Hero. Now, Poole may just be an outright bad player at this point, but he is a good offensive player, typically. He was a good offensive player last year when they went to the title. He has stretches where he's a good offensive player, but why can't they put him on the court? Because he get absolute roasted on defense, right? You saw it in the Kings series. You certainly saw it in the Lakers series where he was borderline unplayable. Um, you saw it last year in the playoffs for stretches, right? Even against Boston where they stopped playing him as much because the matchup was bad. Boston has nobody that is in their core rotation that you have to take off the floor. Uh, Peyton Pritchard may have been the one guy, and he doesn't even play anymore. Rob Williams, someone who's limited offensively, still has a really high floor at what he does on offense, which is rim running, offensive rebounds, alley-oops, et cetera. And so when you have a situation like that, you have a guy like their worst quote-unquote offensive player, I would say, is Marcus Smart that plays a lot. And Marcus Smart, by the way, has had a huge game six, has multiple big moments for them. I mean, is he the guy that you want to have the role that he has? Probably not. But at the end of the day, if that's your weak link offensively, then you're a pretty damn good spot. Um, and Boston was one of the top offenses all year. The, so far in the playoffs, they're number two behind Denver at 119 points per 100 possessions. I just think they put so much pressure on you uh, that if Miami goes into any sort of scoring funk, which they've been totally known to do this season, then they're going to start to have to play catch up. And guess what? Eventually their three point shooting may have, you know, may not be as ridiculous as it's been through two rounds. It's going to come back to earth. And I expect this to be the series that that happens. It will. Cause the, the weird thing about Miami is they've been as much as uh, we've talked about Jimmy Butler and it being the Jimmy Butler show since his injury, he's only averaging 24 a game, 41% yeah. shooting. And I think on the postseason, I looked it up. They've been, as a team, they're plus 14.7 per 100 possessions when he's been off the floor. So this is not even like a case where when Jimmy gets off the floor, everything falls apart. They're losing the non-Jimmy minutes. They're playing really well. And like you said, it's because of that three-point shooting. When Duncan Robinson's on the floor, they're outscoring their opponents by 16.8 points per 100, like which is insane offensive efficiency. But it's hard to see that continuing in this series it's hard to see Love being as efficient, Duncan Robinson being as efficient, even guys like Struess, Vincent, like they've been hitting threes. They're not going to have that much success. And at the same time, right? So uh, last year's Miami Heat team was also, I didn't realize, like they were the one seed, right? But I didn't realize how kind of weak that roster was in the conference finals. I mean, yeah. Oladipo is their third leading scorer in that series with 9.7 points per game. And then they still went to seven. Yep. So it's one yeah, of those things where it. even when you take away everything from Miami, they somehow stay in the game. So I still think this will be a long series. I just don't see them having enough to actually win it outright. Yeah, I think it'll be a long series. I think they're going to be competitive. Like right now I have Boston in six um, as my prediction. And I think, look, Spolstra's too damn good. We've seen this too many times from him. I mean, speaking of uh, conference finals, 
visits, right? They went in now under Spolstra in 11 and 12 and 13 and 14, all four years also to the finals. They went to the conference finals in 20 to the finals that year, 22 and now 23. So, you know, he's done this dance just as much as Boston's done this dance. And so he's not going to be scared of anything. Butler having beaten Tatum, Tatum and Brown in the conference finals knows this moment. Bam was on, you know, Bam was obviously on that squad as well. Hero Robinson, those guys. So, you know, on one side of the bracket, you have the Lakers who aside from AD and LeBron are the only two players on the, from the 2020 bubble team. Right. Um, you flip that over to the heat Celtics. It's not that far off from what that roster, those rosters look like, right. At least the core guys, the core four or five guys are pretty similar. And so, I just think that continuity is going to help. That experience is going to help. I still think I give the edge to Boston, especially with the home court. Um, now you may see Miami jump on them in game one, just given the long series that uh, the Celtics just went through, but they just, the Celtics are not a team that goes away. They never are. They never have been. They just, they're, they're, they're too consistent. Their floor is too high. So I wouldn't expect a, a blowout. I expect a close game. So if Miami's going to steal one in Boston, it's going to be game one. I'm picking Boston in six as well. Miami's definitely going to steal one of the first two. It's, um, but yeah, I, this is just a, a replay of last year, in my opinion. And I think, I, I, I think the Boston's roster, which we, you know, is just so much more well equipped this year, too, with Brogdon, with White defensively has become like taken at another level. Uh, Horford's can still give you good minutes, right? That's clear. Horford did not look like exactly the same player this year, but then against Embiid, he's been the same kind of defensive stalwart. So there's nothing on the Boston side that would worry me, whereas Miami, like we've already talked about, a lot of open questions. So I'm picking Boston in six as well, um, but not surprised if it goes to seven and we're in the same situation we were in last year. It's not unfathomable. Yeah. I mean, look, before and before we uh, come off the East, we have to also talk about uh, the Knicks just quickly. Julius Randle, um, we both had him All-NBA. He did, in fact, make All-NBA, but, oh, God. Um, hey, if you're a Knicks fan, you still have to be happy with the season. you got to be absolutely over the moon with how things worked out with Jalen Brunson, um, who probably should have been the All-NBA selection from that team. And R.J. Barrett showed some flashes in the playoffs, which, you know, consistency has been, been his big issue, and so maybe you get a little bit more of that moving forward in year four five for him but really really tough Julius Randle season um playoffs excuse me not season it was a great season but I think he plays one style and one style only and the second you take him out of that he doesn't adjust he just tries to battering ram his way through it and we saw it versus Atlanta a couple years ago where Collins and Capella gave him fits again we saw it with with Adebayo and 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 the Miami Bigs I don't know where they go from here I mean they're encouraged they have a ton of draft picks. They have, a, you know, the market and some semblance of just kind of professionalism back in that organization. So they may choose to go big game hunting now. They obviously passed on Donovan Mitchell last year, uh, but I just figured worth two minutes on the Knicks in their future uh, moving forward. Have you ever seen a roller coaster of a career that we've seen with Julius Randle in the last four years? Think about his value kind of heading into that New York season where they, they surprised everyone. He played extremely well, made the playoffs. Then the next year where it tanked, 
then came back up again this year, all NBA, and then it's tanked to the point where he is he's looked so bad in the postseason and down the stretch of the season, frankly, that I think I don't know a single Knicks fan who'd probably defend him right now. I think that the if you're a Knicks fan, Jalen Brunson, that was your big headline free agency move. And it worked beautifully. And I think that's what you hang your hat on. They're still buy-in to Tibbs, the defense. You've got some rotation guys. I mean, I don't know if they're going to keep Hart. But uh, I think you've got a system. You've got a star. And you can build. And and you hope, look, you hope that the New York market means something. It And you hope that the hype around this team, the stars coming out to MSG, I don't know if it matters anymore, but you hope that that matters. And it'll help them attract some players to this franchise that they haven't been able to do in the past. We yeah. always say that. It never happens. So I, I'm not necessarily saying it's going to play out like that. But I think that they can. They definitely have the right culture, the right city to build something from here um, around Brunson. Well, it really depends who they go for now or if they go for anyone or she'll still try to build organically, right, with improvement from Barrett and Quentin Grimes. Yeah, that, I think they, they can't do that. I think they got to move Barrett. But if they if they go get someone like Cat, I think we could be in a very similar situation last like next year where Cat again uber talented. He's probably going to be an all star in that system. He's going to put up twenty five and twelve, you know, and then you're going to come back to the playoffs and wonder what the hell happened. So sure, but I'd always rather I'd rather chips right. Yeah, but I'd rather take the chance on a Cat than. What just run the same back and uh, no, hope that Barrett gets better quickly is playable next season? Like you do what? something, but it's not necessarily like they this season by any means was a failure. They got to game six of round two, and so can you guarantee yourself to get further than that with in a conference with Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Boston, and Miami? That's tough sledding. Well, and it's so, not a failure, but look, Atlanta. We had the same conversation a couple years ago with Atlanta. They got to the conference finals, and then from then on, they they tried rebuilding around the same roster, and nothing yeah, worked. Yeah, it's fair. Well, no, I mean they got Dejounte Murray too, right? They actually went for or it. Or they actually they did, made, yeah, and it didn't help. They made their move to go get a guy, and it didn't work. And now they're out of the assets, and they're nowhere further. Fair. That's, so it has to be done responsibly. I agree. Yeah, that's the question they have to ask themselves. It has to be done responsibly, for sure. But I, I do think they need to do something to shake up this roster. They should not be settling. For yeah. this cast of characters. 100%. Um, All right. West? Let's go to the West. Um, so Denver Phoenix, 2-2. You're wondering how sustainable this was. It really felt like it wasn't at the same time. Booker, especially, and to a lesser extent, Durant looked like such magicians. Denver absolutely dismantled them the last two games. And we got to where we thought we were going to get to, which is... I shouldn't say what we thought. I mean, I, I picked Phoenix to win the title before the playoffs started, so... I'm the idiot here, but at least once the series started, it became very clear that Denver was going to do whatever they wanted offensively. Jokic had an absolutely dynamite series and really has had that all playoffs. Let me, while we're talking, let me just pull up his stats versus, uh, you know, versus the squad here. So overall in the playoffs, he's averaging (laughs) 31, 13 and 10 um, on 55, 48, 79 shooting, just ridiculous, ridiculous splits. Um, and then in series, he basically did whatever he wants. So we got 4-2 Denver. You know, there's a lot of heat on them. Just one seed, coasted down the stretch. Two-time MVP, could have been third. What's this con- team going to be? Now you're fully healthy. There's no more excuses. They've at least gotten to a point where there's some vindication for their season. 
On the other hand, the 2-10 Los Angeles Lakers came back all the way into the plan after it looked bleak through round one versus a you know Memphis team that was a two-seed in 150-some games and then just knocked off the defending champion. So this is an absolute titanic battle. I cannot wait for it. I'm going to watch every second of this series. Um, Jokic versus AD. LeBron in year 20 going for ring five and just the most improbable of all the title runs he's had. I There's just there's a lot to unpack here. And I'm going to start by my prediction because I just want to get out there. A lot of people picking the Lakers. I'm going Nuggets. I'm going six games, Nuggets. I think they start up and, and they're going to handle um, LeBron and AD. But I just... If you told me it was going the other way, I would have absolutely no uh, surprise there. So, a lot, 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 lot we just covered. So, take it anywhere you want it. I'll start with my prediction too. I don't know how we. I have Denver in six. Oh my god! I thought for a second you sounded like you were going to go with some contrarian opinion, which I thought would be more LA. I'm um, consensus, man. I think no. I actually feel like consensus at this point is LA. Like everyone on my. You know, anecdotally sourced Twitter feed seems to be picking the Lakers. Look at all the the predictions. Look at the betting odds. This is what you do every year. Everyone thinks LeBron is a favorite. He's not. He's the underdog. Um, well, betting odds just favor Denver because they're a home seed, and they've I think they're like thirty seven and four this year when De- when uh, Jokic is healthy at home. So it's going to be very hard to beat them once, much less twice. So let's do. The, I'll do the Phoenix eulogy real quick. Um, that was as disappointing as it could have been for them to go out the way they did just like last year, despite having Durant um, and Durant didn't, you know, so I, that being said, if I'm Phoenix, I'm feeling very good about what you just saw from Devin Booker. We know he's been on this trajectory for a while, but this postseason, I think out of anyone whose stock has gone up, his has, he's a bona fide superstar. And, Durant, frankly, has been the one that's been more disappointing. I think with them, if they can flip Aiden, if they, they've they already fired Monty Williams, I think there's some moves to be made. Now, granted, they, they punted a lot of their future for Durant, but this is a team, you know, Chris, they've got a lot of decisions this offseason, but knowing you have Booker and Durant and you can somehow build around that gives, gives them hope. You know, it, this was a total failure, disaster of a season. But I think next year is really going to be the true test of whether this whole experiment will be a failure or not. So I don't feel, because of how good Booker's been and because of just Durant's track record and hope, you know, he's getting older. So I'm not, I'm not so, many, so sure how you can rely on, the, you know, peak Durant for many more years to come. But I don't think it's as dire as it looks right now. That's my kind of hot take. Yeah. And look, Booker faded down the stretch, right? He was not good in six or seven. He kind of ran out of gas, which made sense. His games three and four performance was about as legendary as I can remember for a two-game stretch. Um, You know, the problem with Phoenix is they were expecting this four-headed monster that was going to counteract any lack of depth that they had, right? We talked about it a bunch. They didn't know who their fifth starter was, and they were basically playing Russian roulette each week of, like, who would screw them the least and whether they needed shooting. They would go with Tory Craig or sometimes Terrence Ross. If they needed defense, it would be more of the, you know, Josh Okogie-ish Wainwright. And reality is n- no one performed or provided them any of what they needed on a consistent basis. The, the real issue, though, 
is that they ended up not even knowing who their third best guy was. Yeah. So their depth went from, you know, we have a top heavy team, but we, you know, we'll figure it out to like, we have two guys who can play basketball and everyone else is just standing around. Aiden, incredibly disappointing season. I mean, just two years ago, people were talking about him like one of the top assets in the league. Uh, his defensive versatility, like there's a lot of comps being thrown around, a lot of hyperbole being thrown around about his ceiling that we've just seen a complete regression since. And then Chris Paul broke down like he does every year, every playoffs. Guess what? It's not going to start getting better for him at age 38. So, you know, you can say you're not worried about them because they have a Duran and Booker, and that's as good of a starting point as anyone in the league. But I'm pretty damn worried because when you just think about avenues to improve, aside from like signing guys here and there, I just don't see how they're going to really change the course of the roster all that much. And that's ultimately where I get worried because, again, Duran, as good as he is, what's his impact on winning really been year to year besides the Golden State years? I know everyone's going to talk about the 2021 Bucs series and foot on the line, blah, blah, blah. Still a round two loss. They were not going to win the title that year. Um, so as great as he is, everything we've seen from him has been in a really small sample size. I'm still waiting to see it kind of manifest over – 82 games and four rounds in the playoffs when he doesn't have a guy like Steph Curry as a running mate. And, you know, he's also not getting any younger. He's 34. He's going to be 35. Um, I just wonder, like, where does this get to as far as kind of sustainability over the course of, you know, that that full six-month schedule? And Booker, as great as he is, again, is the, his game is naturally going to have, similar to Jason Tatum, you, you shoot a lot of jump shots, you shoot a lot of contested shots, there's going to be nights where you don't score easy. Um, I think Phoenix is in major trouble. Uh, not because they did the trade, because Bridges and Cam Johnson weren't going to change the direct trajectory of this team. This team was going to lose. Uh, if they had not made the KD trade, they would have lost round one uh, to the Clippers, right? So I even you know potentially with the quiet injury. So to me, it's less about that. It's more about knowing that you did that, knowing you don't have assets. Is there a way to get better ASAP? in Durant's window while it's still open. Yeah, so I don't feel good about their situation. I just think that I think Paul's contract could be we could potentially still be moved and get a positive asset back. We've been surprised with this year after year. Um there's value there. Right? There's moves you can make on the fringes and after seeing the Lakers remake themselves this year, granted they had some picks and, and Phoenix is kind of out of that. Yeah. Now, but um it's possible. I, I just think that at least they know now Aiden's not reliable. I think they have to move on from them. Monty Williams is not reliable. I'd rather have them cut their losses and then well, try they to did figure move out on from him. Huh? They did move on from Monty Williams. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and they already moved on from him. So, I, I think if they make the right moves and they're a little bit limited in what they can do, they can at least contend. But you're right; it's not, uh, it's not a great situation. And you, you went all in with this trade, so it has to work. It has to result in at least a conference finals appearance, mm. <laughs> which like, that's like it, they need to be a, a championship winner for it to really make sense. But my worry right now is they, you know, getting to the conference finals will be hard next year in the West. Yeah, especially with you know who knows what Golden State's going to do. Maybe we transition to them. Like you think yeah. about, is there a title run over? They went to six finals in eight years. They won four times. I think clear dynasty there. Steph Curry is still an MVP caliber player. He's um, playing as well as basically anyone in the league. So you have a very high floor when you just consider that starting point. But, you know, around him, 
They didn't get anything from their uh, young guys. They didn't really get anything from their vets when push came to shove, specifically Clay, and then Draymond offensively was very inconsistent, was trying to hook up with LeBron for most of that series. And uh, and then, um, you know, you have a payroll that is going to be a number so large, I don't think people quite understand how much they're going to potentially owe in luxury tax if they keep everyone around. And the Lakers as much as they are wealthy, they are not like Steve Ballmer wealthy, right? They make a lot of their money off the Warriors, the stadium, the fact that they were able to sell 5%, but some of that is going to run out. And so you think about it, you're like, all right, well, is the title window closed? Because if it is, I'd rather not cut a $400 million check for my team this year. And I'm just really interested to see where they go. And if there's anything that's viable, even with trading pool, like where's pool's trade value right now, right? It's probably not sky high. And so, um, at some point, you have to just let guys walk because you don't want to even take back salary. I'm very curious to see what they do. Bob Meyer sounds like he may not be back. So it's going to be a new general running the floor. Steve Kerr has got Team USA responsibilities, but I think he may not be long for that role either, just given his health concerns and everything else like that. So this is one of the fascinating wrinkles kind of now because they've, they've achieved what they've achieved. I think Steph's legacy, I've talked about this. I feel like it's Teflon at this point. There's nothing he can do to worsen his legacy. At the same time, as great as he's playing still, he's going to want to go for it. And I don't know if they're set up to do that. They're, yeah, in a very interesting position. The smart thing, obviously, is not commit fat contract to Clay. First thing, you have to hope Clay signs for a team-friendly deal. Uh, and not sure he wants that, but he's not worth what he'd command uh, or what he's going to be commanding given this, this stage of his career. The defense is gone. The offensive, I mean, he, it's kind of went under the radar. You know, the funny thing about the Warriors is when things go bad, a lot of teams, when things go bad, their stars get blamed, right? Embiid, Harden. With the Warriors, it, it ends up falling on guys like uh, Poole. And, and it's never Clay's fault. It's never Steph's fault. And I think the dirty secret for them is that Clay's supposed to be their second best player. He's not that guy anymore, or he he can't play up to that role. And Wiggins, as good as Wiggins has been defensively, we know offensively he's kind of capped out, weirdly enough. He's never going to rise to being kind of a, good enough to be a proper number two to Steph and keep this team in contention. And then Draymond, ultimately his defense is what makes this whole thing work. Like Draymond this year has still been fantastic defensively. In the playoffs, he was... I mean, he's been good even against the Lakers. I know um, it's it's a tough matchup for them. He was great against the Kings. And it's just another one of those things where if they don't, they're going to pay him, but it's he's not worth what you pay him. But at the same time, if you get rid of him, this whole thing will crumble. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this. We've seen that Warriors, when you know, what the year they went for Wiseman, we saw what they looked like with Draymond, Draymond off the floor for significant stretches. Um, granted, that roster was also completely gutted. So I don't know what they do, man, but I think if you're the Warriors, that last title, and we've talked about this so much, like that last title did such made such yeah. a big difference. Without that title, if they lost to the Celtics last year, we'd be talking about them very differently. They haven't won without Durant since this 2015, point. which yep. is eight years ago. Um, they haven't, you know, they've lost multiple times in the playoffs since then. Um, bottomed out too in the middle of that, right? Like they got the number two pick because they're so bad. Bottomed so, out, and then even the next year they missed the play-in because they, mm-hmm. they got bounced by the Lakers. So 
that title fixes everything. And I think they, Kerr might ride out to the sunset. Bob Myers might do the same. They're going to keep Steph, Curry, Dre, and maybe try to keep this going one more year. But, um, yep. yeah. No, I mean, it's it's fair. It's it's a, it's a really frustrating title for that reason because we, we could have really gotten some good shots off at the Warriors. But alas, they are all above reproach now for who they were expected to be in their careers versus who they became. And that includes Draymond. That includes Clay. Uh, obviously, I mentioned Steph Curry, who's now kind of firmly entrenched in my top 10, just given everything he's done. Um, and he's got a lot more to do, right? He's 35, but he's playing as well as he's ever played, it wouldn't shock me to have a LeBron-like run in terms of durability. Now, he was a lot older than LeBron was coming into the league, so I don't know if he'll get to 20 seasons. But for him to be playing at this level at 38, which is where LeBron is now, I don't think I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, He's 35 right now, so could I see him doing this in three years? Certainly. Um, In general, we've just seen such an extension of everyone's prime you take it a guy like Steph who keeps himself in about as good a condition as anyone in the league it's it's a possibility for him to be doing this for a long time I don't think he plays for anyone else but Golden State but if for any reason this thing blows up for a variety of reasons I don't know you know the the like end of career Steph like who wants who's able to get him is going to be an all-time sweep sweepstakes they'll never let him go unless he demands a trade they'll never let him go um, the only but, way, yeah, like because Dirk never left, but Dirk wasn't really on competitive teams the last few years of his career, and he seemed to be okay with it. Same with, same with Kobe. Right? Yeah, that's true. But Kobe, yeah. I mean, Kobe himself wasn't that good, though, at the end, right? Because he had the Achilles, he had the shoulder. Like, he wasn't playing at a level that matched his salary, and it meant more to him to stay there. If Curry is still a championship-quality player, is he going to be okay stuck at four if the Warriors aren't ready to compete? That's going to be the interesting thing. Yeah, it will be. I'm just it, happy it's it looks like it's coming to an end, man. And maybe it won't. Maybe that maybe year will be competitive. Yeah, it's, this is what we it's, said about LeBron for like ten straight years. So no, but but there, I mean, I, I, it's the disease of more, and you know, this is covered in that article that came out. Right, it's eight years ago when it's all fresh and new. Guys like Iguodala are taking back seats. You know. He took on a bench role for Harrison Barnes. Everyone's that strength in numbers, as corny as it was, actually worked. This year, think about it. Kaminga's growling about his minutes. DiVincenzo's pissed about his minutes. Poole, you know, and Draymond have their thing. All that cohesion is completely gone. And it can only be masked so much by Steph's greatness. And it's never going to get better. I just think this team, it's like one of those things where the team just has to get dissolved at to some point. Because they're always going to have these issues until they really do something drastic. So it'll be interesting to see what they do in the offseason. I, I don't think, I think they, they already, they're going to keep Dre, they're going to keep Clay, I think, and they're going to ship Pool. And I think some team will bite on Pool. Um, he is a good candidate, by the way, to be, you know, like if you put him in Charlotte as like a younger version of Terry Rogier. Everyone just the, the NBA purgatory of Charlotte. So any bad contract or revitalization project, send Ben Simmons down there. See if that see if that works. Um, just anybody who's anyone just who's struggling, send him down to Charlotte. Quick aside, by the way, before we cover Denver, LA, which is really the point of this part of the discussion, <laughs> the lottery is tomorrow. Like, I'm not sure we're properly talking about it enough if we're saying that this guy is the best prospect in the NBA since LeBron. Like some team tomorrow night is going to be like their whole world is going to get turned upside down in a positive way. 
and you tell me why it's going to be the Wizards. <laughs> they Dude, shouldn't I, send him to Washington. You know, if if David Stern was still alive, he would direct him away from Washington if that's the way the, the ping pong balls bounced. <laughs> I was thinking this over the they weekend. can't ruin this guy's career. I saw an ad for the lottery, and I, I didn't realize – I saw it over the weekend. I didn't realize it was coming up on Tuesday. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, for all the hype around Wemanyama, how come this date has not been kind of etched in everyone's minds? Like, I've heard – It's very strange. Because this – you're right. This literally is – whoever gets the first pick, that's his destination. And that changes that franchise's course. Now, I'm of the camp that I think Wemby is not going to live up to the hype. I'm putting it right now. I just I until I see a, a guy with that frame do it, I'm not buying into the theoretical unicorn he might be. Um, we might I mean it. we might see it for a couple of years, but over a sustained career, I don't buy it. So I'm planting my flag squarely on Wemby Island along with probably millions of others, but I think he's going to be All right, a gen- at least we can disagree on beast. something then. He's going to be a generational beast. At least we can disagree on something. You know what part of the problem is? I was thinking, like, there's no marquee franchises that are in the mix for him. Like, no. Like, when the when Zion came up, the Lakers were potentially there, right? The Knicks were potentially in the mix. Like, you know, some team or other is usually bad, or some big market could, is probably bad in a given year. This year, there's really no one of significance. Like, who gives a shit if he's on Detroit or... Indiana or Houston or, you know, Charlotte or San Antonio. I mean, San Antonio and Houston are marquee franchises historically, but they're certainly not now. They're completely irrelevant. And so that's part of the problem is like the teams that are most likely to land him just don't matter at all on the NBA landscape in today's day and age. Um, and they don't have the fan bases that are pulling them forward. So part of this is like it's not that people aren't excited about him being in the NBA. It's just about, they don't think they care as much about where he goes of the available options. Now, if something crazy happens, like the bulls jump up, right. And grab him or Dallas or something like that. And you Dallas Luka, would be nuts. Yeah. Like that would rock the world, but we just don't expect it. Cause the odds are so low. Yeah. I'm just looking at the odds right now. What, okay. What would be the worst place in terms of the hype? Forget about the team. I think Charlotte. Uh, They're the least relevant franchise since they came back in the I, NBA. I, no, I disagree. I'd say I'd say Indiana. Oh no, not Indiana. Washington. I mean, Washington's not going to be worse for him than like Charlotte. Charlotte has Lamelo. My point is, there's a okay, lot of Lamelo fans out he's there. He's had Lamelo. They suck every year with or without him. But they get a lot of like no, they don't YouTube they don't views. Sh- yeah, no, I, dude, stop. I bet you the Charlotte like YouTube channel gets more than the Wizards. I in that one specific metric, maybe. But if you go <laughs> look at like I don't know Twitter followers or Instagram followers or whatever it is that people are measuring. Oh, I measuring. bet Instagram followers the Hornets have more too. That's actually probably also true. But reality is neither of them matter. So I think they're both bad, and Lamelo is going to ask out in like two years anyway. If Wemby wants to play with a guy who will really never leave, he should go to D.C. and play with Bradley Beal until Beal is cashing checks at age 55. I'm going to look this up. Wrong. Wizards have a bigger fan base than I thought. They have more subscribers to their YouTube channel. Exactly. All right, let's go to Denver Lakers. We are going to conclude this here, but 
matchup wise, I think AD versus Jokic is the obvious one. But what I'm really interested in Wait, is before we get to the matchup. What? Yeah. Let's commend LeBron mm-hmm. for granted he's not the same guy he was, but 39 and 9, just Amazing. master class performance in game yep. six. Uh, been good all series in terms of the role he's been playing, right? Not uh, good defensively, has not been uh, scoring as much. His shooting has still not come back, but doing a lot of smart things on offense. And he ended another dynasty. Nathan, at some point, this has to matter, man. He ended the Celtics dynasty. He ended the no, Pistons first, the Celtics. The um, He didn't end the Spurs, but he made them have to go back and really gun for one more title. Which he ended the pre-KD up. Warriors. He ended the post-KD Warriors. Like, he didn't end This is things. adding this to the stupid. case. He ended the Celtics, but they also ended his Cleveland run. The Spurs ended the Heat. Um, the Warriors ended the Cavs. Yeah, and but so all those teams had to do something drastically different to end him. Like the Warriors had to go get What Durant. did the Spurs have to do to drastically different? <laughs> they had to try a lot harder the next year. <laughs> Boston in the 2010 playoffs, they dumped LeBron out. And but I he think... beat no, but then he beat Boston with the Heat. He beat the same team. Yeah, he had to go do something drastically different, which is change teams and completely re-architect. No, listen, LeBron is LeBron. At this point, it's it's stunning for the most part watching him play. I will say. The 39-9 in a closeout game, that's just vintage LeBron. That's why he's one of the greats. I've never, even last year, remember he had the 56-point game versus Warriors. He was you know, second in the league in scoring. I know his numbers were still similar this year. The first time I've ever remembered in 20 years of watching him play, he looks old. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean he can't get up to that level when he needs to. Like He's averaging 37 minutes a game in, in the playoffs thus far and like, 10 rebounds a game, which is you know almost a career high for him. And so it's not that he's not going to do the things that are necessary to win, but just physically, I never remember l- watching him seem limited. It's finally like there's a mortality in his game, yet he keeps winning because that's what he's always ever done. So I'm going to give your boy props. He's really second to none in terms of the greatest careers of all time. Um, I think he's pretty much solidified that. I think he took over for Kareem, took over for Duncan. Those are probably... The guys are up there with him, and obviously Jordan. <sighs> Does he have one more run in him? Because I, I, the thing is, I don't think they're done after this year. You just think about the way they've architected this team. They have some youth around them with Reeves, with Russell, with Rui if they keep him, with um, Schroeder who's played well. Davis is obviously still technically in his prime from an age standpoint. So I certainly don't think this is one last ride by any means. Um and I'd expect them to be good next year as long as they're healthy. But just given the fact you can't count on that, you have to capitalize on the moments in front of you, which is this season. I don't think next year. I think they've got the pieces. I I don't buy it. I actually think this. They have to make it happen this year. The health is just not on their side. And LeBron, dude, this foot injury has been bothering him. It, there's going to be more and more of these little nagging things that hurt him next year. AD, you never know what's going to happen with him. Uh. So it has to be this year. Uh, and you know what's funny? That that last series with the Warriors, you know, the last couple series in Memphis too, it's when late game situations, they're not even getting AD involved, right? They're trying to pre- preserve his, on offense. 
LeBron is also not getting heavily involved. They're comfortable running everything through Reeves. They're comfortable if Lonnie Walker, you know, given the the times he's been hot, running everything through him. Mm-hmm. And I feel sometimes that they're playing with fire. Like it's been working because they're good defensively. Yeah. But it's it's you know you get to a situation where you're against the Nuggets where it's offensive firepower that you're dealing with and you have to score to keep up. One of the things I'm most interested in the series is in those late game situations, are you going to be able to, and granted the Nuggets defense is much worse than the teams you may have faced, but are they going to keep going through these guys or does LeBron or AD have to take on a larger scoring role late in games? Cause I feel like these guys, those, those guys are expending themselves much more in the first half and then letting the rest of the guys do their thing in the second. Well, yeah, I think you made a good point. The defense gives them a really um, solid foundation in which they can kind of, even the Warriors series, you could see them taking the hits of like the Warriors runs because they didn't need to get chunk plays necessarily. Their defense is so good. They're first in the league in the playoffs thus far uh, through two rounds. I think they were first or second after the trade deadline. Um, so that they, they've been locked in defensively with this roster. You know, they, they started pulling back on minutes for Vanderbilt once it seemed like the Warriors figured out how to break the defense he was playing on Steph Curry, turning him into more of a facilitator. The thing that I, the reason why I think your point's interesting is that I don't see that there's any way you slow down the Nuggets offense at any point. They don't get bad shots. They don't have a couple guys who are carrying the load like a la Booker and Durant where other, like they get contributions all over the place. You saw in game six versus Phoenix, KCP had 13 in the first quarter, 15 in the first quarter. Aaron Gordon can go off. We know my Michael Porter now. If there's any X factor, I actually think it is Michael Porter because I don't think they have a great defender for him with the Lakers, especially with his size and his shooting range. But he just disappears for like quarters of time. So like who knows when that's going to rear its ugly head. I also don't think they have a great defender for Jamal Murray. I know Schroeder is going to get a lot of that assignment. He was really good defensively in in round two. Um, I just like Murray's silkiness. He can shoot. He's a little bit more creative with the ball. He's on ball more than sometimes like even when – staff can be at times just given the way the warriors run their offense and i just think with Jokic, like passing or shooting he's always going to make the right play he's never going to be sped up and even if you have like a stalwart defender guarding him it's not like he's not going to figure out how to exploit the mismatch because he is that kind of passer like we talked about Embiid not being early up front he is that kind of passer and so i just think offensively they're going to be humming along every game and so the lakers are going to have to play a little bit catch up um, and you're not going to get those, you know, out of body performances from Lonnie Walker or Rui Hachimura, Austin Reeves. But you know, they just need four of four of seven. I mean, that's the way they're probably thinking about it. They don't need to be the best team every game. They just need to do it four to seven times. Yeah, the <clears throat> defensively, it'll be interesting to see how they play Jokic. Um, do they play AD on him just one on one, or you know, the the bubble year they played McGee. Uh, JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard, they put him them primarily on Jokic. Of course, that Nuggets team looked very different. They had Jeremy Grant, too. Um, so it'll be curious. Do the Lakers try to put LeBron or Rui or someone like that on Jokic and have AD shade over to help? He's too big. Or does it, it, it has to be AD. It has to be AD, right? And then, you know, if you put AD on him, uh, the Nuggets will probably start to do what the the Warriors were doing in the sense of try to draw him out to the perimeter, put him in pick and roll, um, and Jokic can play from up top and, and kind of just pick apart the defense with, with AD playing up on him. 
Yeah. Uh, or they drop heavy and let him kind of just. So it'll I, it'll be very interesting to see. But you're right. I don't think they're going to be able to slow down Denver to the extent that um, they were able Denver to Denver Memphis to and and Golden State. Golden State, right? Like I think both of those offenses are more inconsistent than Denver is. That being said, when AD is locked in, he's the best defender in the world. And it's I don't I mean stupid phrase, but I don't think it's close. Like he is that dude. The the only thing I'll say about Denver is that they are getting I mean they're getting some masterclass performances by Jokic and there's still too many disappearing acts by Murray, Porter every now and then. Yep. KCP is great. He's a role player. Like these guys can can let you down. And the Lakers, uh, as we've seen, like that Warriors series, I'll tell you, like it was impressive by how much they limited the rest of the Golden State Warriors kind of supporting cast and the shooters and nothing came easy and what they were able to exploit with the Kings game to game was not open. And I think the nuggets are going to have a hard time and it, they might just be fine with Jokic getting his and becoming a scorer and letting him get 40 every game if he wants, but really limiting Murray le- limiting all their shooters and turning it into a grind out game. So I, I like the nuggets in this one, but I think it's a defensive test that they have not seen yet and it's going to be fascinating to watch how Jokic deals with that yeah I mean look and I think the foul trouble is going to be big here both teams don't really have a true backup center that's gotten a lot of minutes it's not like we've seen a bunch of winning you break the glass in DeAndre Jordan I mean you're gonna have to like I would see expect to see one in Gabriel Gabriel playing right like I don't think like the Lakers had a lot of success with the Rui LeBron 4-5 combo you can't run that if Jokic is on the floor because he's just too big. He'll overpower each of those players. And if you double, he's going to find cutters. He's going to find open three-point shoot, three point shooters. So I'm really curious. Like, Do you see Gabriel? Do you see um, Thomas Bryant like <laughs> try to guard Yo- AD? Because, like, again, Jokic can't pick up foul trouble. He's got to play 40 minutes a night. He can't pick up cheap fouls versus AD down low, battling for rebounds, et cetera. So I'm really interested because like, both teams' best players is their center, and they only have one of them on each side. So there's not a whole lot of flexibility from that standpoint. Um, and then Murray's got to be the best guard uh, by far if Denver wants to win. For, for the Lakers, it's, it's, it's LeBron kind of turning back the clock a little bit and becoming more of a scorer and also getting more downhill, right? Like exploiting those matchups against Michael Porter Jr. He's going to see Aaron Gordon probably every minute he's on the court for the yep. most part. Um, but if Gordon gets in foul trouble, who do they have, right? Jeff Green, maybe. Jeff Green was guarding Kevin Durant. Um, he's 36 years old. They're probably going to dust him off and make sure he gets a lot of looks at LeBron. And then after that, it's it's slim pickings, right? Because KCP and other good defenders, Christian Brown, they're just not big enough. Um, they can certainly help. I think they can, they're can. they going to be useful to, to keep guys like D'Lo at bay. But uh, there's just this is such a fun series, man. There's so many fun subplots. Um, you know, I was really hoping when we when – we, uh, sort of did the predictions of like what would be the most fun matchup in the finals. We said Philly Denver could settle the MVP debate once and for all. We're not going to get that, but I think a lot of these matchups, even though they're not marquee teams, you know, Boston and LA are certainly marquee teams, Miami as an eight seed and the nuggets bring not marquee teams, but I think there's a lot of fun matchups anyway around uh, both in the conference finals and then whatever the finals turn out to be. I think nuggets, Celtics, Lakers, Celtics, both great. Yep. I think nuggets heat, will be a disaster rating wise. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. 
Lakers Heat will be good just because Braun, AD, and the Lakers infrastructure. But yeah, that one's good. still not. But at least yeah, it's the Lakers. It's Braun for the quest for his fifth. All of that. Um, yeah, I, I think this series will be really interesting. I think this will tell us a lot about. I mean, look, I don't like being the guy who makes judgments on players and after postseason performance necessarily, but. Jokic, I want to ask you this. If they lose this, right, in six, five, let's say Jokic has a decent series, nothing amazing, nothing horrible, doesn't complete letdown. Does that change the way we also talk about him? Do we kind of give it the same treatment? Like, hey, look, this is a one seed. Or do we say, look, LeBron, AD, this is a very talented Lakers team. It's understandable. Curious to hear what you, how you would react if, if Denver does lose this. Generally speaking, I feel like getting to round three is a vindication of your season. I mean, certain guys have different expectations. Like if LeBron in his peak years was losing in round three consistently, that wouldn't be looked at as as kindly. I think with Jokic, this would be his second conference final, the first one outside the bubble. And really the last two years he's had healthy teams. He's taken them here. And so as long as he plays well, which I wouldn't see any reason why he wouldn't, I think he's vindicated. I think he's safe, quote-unquote. Doesn't mean that his career is going to be fine. He does have to win a ring. He's a multiple-time MVP, so it matters. But I don't think it'll be seen as some type of like epic failure or like a fraudulent leader, especially with the way Embiid went down. Because if you thought Embiid was fraudulent, Jokic was fraudulent, you usually were an Embiid guy. And if he just put that performance out there, it's not exactly like you know you have a great comp for, okay, if it's not Jokic, then who? Just in that category. Because even AD is the best big alive. We'll get some some, some of that commentary, but so much of it will also be like, well, he has LeBron James as a teammate. So, yeah, it's going to be a little bit more successful for him. And, you know, as good as Murray's been, as good as Denver's team is, Jokic has still never played with an all-star. Uh, I'm not saying that this is like a preemptive excuses because if Denver loses, I think it's a failure. But, you know, he still hasn't had top-level talent the way some of these other guys have had. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's just funny because they're actually the favorites in this series, and Embiid and the Sixers were actually the underdogs. Right. But it, it's context, right? This is the conference finals. Embiid's never even gotten there. And Embiid also just had a letdown performance, which we don't and think And they're we'll up 3 2, Embiid. right? If Denver was up 3 2 and he did what Embiid did in 6 and 7 to lose, he, oh, would, yeah. get, he, gets he would get flack. Yep. And he should. And, and like, I was ready to give it to him if they blew the Phoenix series because. That's the series they absolutely should win. At 2-2, you're wondering what's going on. And then you put the, his foot on their throat. And that's what great players do. And and I'm not taking anything away from Embiid in that he is a great player. He's a Hall of Famer and all that stuff. It's just, again, you're splitting hairs when you're talking about this tier uh, of superstar. Yep. All right. That is a wrap for us. So a lot to look forward to in the next week. By the time we speak next, we'll know where Victor's headed. Um, and if it happens to be the Wizards, we might have to do an emergency pod just for live reactions. Um, we're going to have, I think by this time next week, we'll probably be three or four games into each series. So I think it's going to be an alternating night thing, which is the best time conference finals every single night. We get great, great basketball. So please follow us on uh, social media. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Had a blast watching the playoffs thus far. Ready to keep going. Thanks, and we'll talk to you next week.